Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. We are wrapping up our Fight Club series. What's the first rule of Fight Club? Don't ever talk about it. That is right. And if you have no idea what that means, you, that's okay. <laughs> Defeating the evil powers that try to rule the world. Everyone say try. That is the operated word. And we've been on a series in how to fight spiritual battles. Now, you know, there's a lot of talk in the world. Do we, you know, is the spiritual world real? What about this? Is the devil real? I don't know. I think it's all just metaphorical. Well, actually, if you've ever encountered a very real enemy, you'll be able to say, no, the enemy is very real. And we're looking at how we as God's people, how we can stand strong and how we cannot be overcome when the enemy comes at us. And before we jump in, though, I want to clarify something, because when we're talking about spiritual battles and how we're to respond, it can be really easy to think, well, we have to defeat the enemy. i got to overcome this. i got to deal with it. i got to do this. And let me just be clear. We are not the ones who defeat the enemy. This is something Jesus has done. Can you say that? Jesus has done it. Jesus, we got to do this together. Jesus has done it. He has done it. Colossians 2, 15 and I'm, I'm in the message version because I just think this is a little bit of an extra punch. This is describing, Paul is writing to the Colossian church, who would have been mostly Gentiles at the time. And so he was giving instructions, he was helping them understand what happened at the cross when Jesus died, when, he, when it talks about he, he died for our sins according to Scripture, what actually was going down? Was it just this human sacrifice to appease an angry God? No, that's not what it was. But this is what was going on at the cross. He said, he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. That is pretty intense. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants of the universe of their sham authority. In other words, they thought they had authority, had some authority, but it wasn't the ultimate authority. And he marched them naked through the streets. What in the world is he talking about? What Paul was using, he was using a picture that they would have understand because Colossae would have been a Roman colony. And what the Romans did and what a lot of other nations would do when they would go in and they would, through war, through fighting, through whatever means, through force, where they would take over another nation, what they would do is they would strip, literally naked, the victims who were the losers, and they would march them through the street as a way to say, look at how strong and powerful we are. We're going to humiliate you. You were defeated. There's nothing you can do to stand up to us. So he, Paul was using a very vivid, and he was using a word, they would have understood what that meant. But look at what he's applying it to. This is what Jesus did at the cross. He stripped the enemy of their authority and marched them naked through the streets. And this is where things get confusing. Because we look around and we think, well, obviously, there's a lot of things wrong, and it still looks like there's a very real enemy 
In fact, Peter even warns us. In Scripture, in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what is it? Have they been defeated? Or is he still causing problems? Does he still have some kind of power? Yes to both questions. And no to both questions. See, this is where we encounter what's called the now and the not yet of God's kingdom. There's a very true reality over all the other realities that we live in and we encounter in our day-to-day life. It's called the kingdom of God. Jesus came bringing, he said he came bringing the good news. He was preaching the gospel. What did that mean? That didn't mean I'm going to come and die for your sins and you're going to go to heaven someday. The gospel meant that God's kingdom, he said God's kingdom is arriving and it has arrived now here on earth. And that simply means God's kingdom means the way the world is supposed to be when God is in charge. Now we look around and we see that isn't evident yet because there's a not yet aspect of God's kingdom. In other words, the fullness of it is going to come at a future time when Jesus is returning and God's kingdom will be fully present here on earth. Contrary to a lot of misunderstanding, we're not going to be whisked up away off of the planet and to some ethereal place to spend eternity as souls. That is not the scriptural story. And if there's a way to understand this, I'm going to use a war example. Any war, World War II, any kind of war? People here, you like war history stories. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> World War II. There were two significant dates, two significant terms. One was D-Day, one was V-Day. D-Day was June 6, 1944, where the Allies established a beachhead on the beach of Normandy. And at that point, the Germans knew the war was over. They had lost. Now fighting, battles continued for almost an entire year. There were a lot of lives that were lost. There were a lot of people, thousands that were being killed every day in the camps. But V-Day, May 8th, 1945, was when there was Nazi surrender, it was done. The war is over. Can you say that the war was over? The war was over. So this is kind of how it works for us. Our D-Day was at the cross. Resurrection, when Jesus rose from the dead, that was not a sign that we would one day rise from the dead too. That's not what that was about. Jesus' resurrection was evidence that something new had begun. God's kingdom was this new creation thing, was now coming into visibility on the planet. D-Day. Say D-Day. The cross was D-Day. V-Day is going to be when Christ returns and God's kingdom is fully established on earth. D-Day and V-Day. In the meantime, we have work to do. There's battles we got to fight, not with each other. And that's what we're going to look at. 
So we need to become skilled at recognizing the enemy because you can't fight an enemy you don't know exists or you don't know how to recognize. Ephesians 6.12. Paul again, he said, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. There is a list of wildness in that verse. Authorities, cosmic powers of this darkness, evil spiritual forces in the heavens. This sounds like a fantasy movie. What's going on? Paul is not crazy. He's not speaking metaphorically. He's very much aware of and understands that there are forces around that we're dealing with that are really hard to nail down. Now, if you weren't here for JD's message when we started this a few weeks ago, you want to listen to that one, and he can tell you some fun devil stories, his own experience with a very real enemy. I don't have devil stories like that, but his are pretty interesting. I have different stories. But I think the key, what Paul is talking about here, is in the first words, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle isn't against people. Our struggle, you are not fighting against whatever human is causing you the most angst and problems right now in your life. That is not your enemy. The enemy is not the liberal party. The enemy is not the conservative party. The enemy is not the NDP. The enemy is not the liberal or not the Republicans or the Democrats. The enemy is the enemy. He is not a human. It's ideologies in how the enemy works. You know, last, couple, uh, last two weeks ago, Jared spoke on a message about mammon. Mammon is a way of thinking. It's, you can, we, we won't get into a lot of the, what exactly is it, but it's, it's the love of money. Money is not evil. Money is simply a tool. If you quote, money is evil. No, it's not. The love of money is. And mammon is like a spiritual force that attaches itself to the way we think about money. And it's, mammon is the driving force behind consumerism in our society. In fact, mammon is kind of the driving force behind everything in our society currently. It's a driving force behind politics. It's a drive, I'm going to say something, this will make some people upset, but you need to hear me. It is the driving force behind the medical system right now. Our medical system is not a health system. It is driven by money. That doesn't mean doctors and nurses are evil. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's some things at work that are beyond just a this world thing. Mammon is behind things like entertainment. Doesn't mean that all entertainment is evil and bad. No, it just means there's a lot of influence that is beyond just human influence. It's creating an ideology, a way of thinking, a way of believing that will become a worldview about how we see the world. Mike talked about lies last week. The enemy is a liar. The only tricky thing about lies, it's hard to spot them when you're in them because they sound like they're true. Yes? <laughs> so today I want to give, we're going to look at some things that might take, might make you go, oh, I never thought about this before, but I'm going to give you some practical things and how can you recognize the enemy? I'm going to give you a big tell because lies you know what? That, that is true. But like I said, it is hard to recognize lies when they come. But I'm going to show you a way that you can recognize the enemy. But today I want to look at a different way the enemy attacks. 
And he attacks through truth. Everyone say through truth. And we're going to look at a story from Jesus' life that we're going to get some insight, how we can withstand the enemy. Matthew 3, 16 and 17, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Man, this is why baptism is so powerful. There is a stamp. It's like, man, you are, there's going to be a new confidence in who you are. As a child of God, there is something that happens internally inside when we get baptized. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And immediately after that, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. We just got to clarify this thing. Jesus went into this temptation. He lived it out. He experienced it as a full human being. He did not experience it as this divine, he was just God and he was pretending like he was weak. No, he fully experienced it as 100% human. After he fasted 40 days, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left and the angels came and began to serve him. Here's number one. Let's look at this. It says Jesus was tempted by the devil. Okay, we're going to look at this. Here's one thing that you can know. How do you recognize the enemy? Well, the enemy's name or his titles, what's how he's described, actually gives us insight on how to recognize him. First off, the devil. That's the Greek word davalos. Davalos. Say it with me, just because it's fun to say. Davalos. Davalos. Guess what it's connected to? It's connected to the word divide. The enemy is a divider. He tries to separate. He tries to bring division. And what was he doing here? He sought to divide or separate Jesus from his calling. This was a test. Would Jesus, how would he go about fulfilling all of these things the enemies thought to promise him were actually things that belonged to him in a way? But he was trying to get Jesus to use his power for himself instead of to serve and fulfill his calling. 
of bringing salvation. Davalos, the divider. But it also means this. This is where we get, Davalos also means, this is where it refers to what Jesus called him by a different name, Satan or Satan. The Satan is actually the more correct way. It was more a title. The Satan. And guess what this word is? It means slanderer or accuser. Now this is really important. The accuser. Say that he is the accuser. The enemy came with an accusation. If you are the son of God. Now, what was he saying? Something true. Hang on to that. See, sometimes when the enemy comes, when the accuser comes, he comes and it's personal. I'm going to tell you how to recognize. This is how you recognize the voice of the accuser, because it will sound just like your own voice. But it comes in the form of accusation, couched in a lot of different ways. It might sound like this. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't fill in the blank. If you are a Christian, why do you still fill in the blank? You are such an idiot freak. Coward, failure, whatever name goes in there. If you feel this way, or if you think this way, then you are this way. But sometimes, the accusations are about others. And you know what? I actually think this second one, the longer you walk with Christ, when you get a measure of freedom in your life, the longer you walk with Christ, you, beca- you, you become quite secure, and not in, a, not in a cocky, prideful way, but you become quite secure and understanding in your identity and who you are in Christ. And so I'd like to submit, if you've been walking like me with Jesus for a long time, you're the voice of accusation probably isn't going to be directed at you personally. But it will come in the form of accusations against others. And it sounds like this. They said this, it must mean fill in the blank. They did that, you need to. They aren't really your friends. They are so fake, so self-righteous, so much more worthy than you. And I can tell you from personal experience, see what the enemy wants to do is he wants to pull you into a fight. He wants to bring all sorts of accusations, whether it's against you or against people in your world, or maybe even strangers walking down the street. If you ever walk down, you just all of a sudden you find, why have I been thinking these terrible thoughts about people I don't even know? Anybody else struggle with that? I mean, it could be anything from what they're wearing to, you know, how they look or what they did that I thought was stupid or ridiculous. And... But see, what the enemy wants to do, he wants to pull us into a fight to attack our peace of mind. He will come with his thoughts. And what he wants to do is he will try to disrupt our peace 
with lies about who we are, with accusations about who we are, and those accusations might actually be true. Yeah. If you were a Christian, why are you still doing fill in the blank? If you were a Christian, you wouldn't be struggling with blank. That's true. <laughs> but see, what he wants to do is to bring and to disrupt the peace and to separate us internally through anxiety and even externally in our relationships. And I've come to, I've, I've just come to the determination that anytime there is a negative thought about any person in my head, my first go-to is that is an accusation. No matter how true it is, and I do not receive it. Let's talk about the second one. The enemy came with truth. He actually came with scripture. So, here's the thing. It takes more than knowing and actually applying scripture in a right way because the enemy applied it in an accurate way. But it takes more than knowing and applying scripture to withstand the enemy. Because truth is more than right facts and right knowledge. Truth is a certain spirit or attitude. I'm going to give you some examples. Even Jesus. In John 1, 14, it says he came. It was, John was referring to this. He said the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he said the, the word of God was released. Oh, I need to give a release to all of the baptism people. You are to go out and get changed now. Thank you for waving back there. We'll get going here quick. But it said he, Jesus came in grace and truth. There's a certain quality about truth that when it comes, it's got friends with it. I'm going to show you what those friends look like. Jesus talked about, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can you say that with me? Say, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Truth is a person. John 15, 26, Jesus talks about the spirit of truth. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. And see, so truth is a certain attitude, it's a spirit, it's a, it's a different way of communicating, not just what's the facts and what's knowledge, but there's an attitude behind it. And, and a great example of this, in Acts chapter 16, there's a story about Paul and Silas, they were in the city, I believe it was in Philippi, and they were on their way to prayer. And over the course of a few days, it says in Acts 16, it says, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. I love that part. They left. They, Luke was very, very um, determined to put that in. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out right away. And then they got in trouble because the people that she was a slave to lost all their income. <laughs> but look at this. What she said was true. Obviously in the wrong spirit. <laughs> in Jesus' temptation, everything... The enemy said to Satan was true, but obviously from wrong spirit or intention. And his intention was to trap and discredit Jesus. 
See, truth can be recognized by its friends. Philippians 4.8. Paul, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Everyone say true. Say whatever is honorable. Whatever is just. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is commendable. If there is any, here's what, moral excellence and praiseworthy. Dwell on these things. All of these qualities. This is how you recognize truth. These, this is truth's friends. How do we recognize the voice of the accuser? Again.